Good morning, Victory Church. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. If you are visiting with us today, welcome. As Brian has said, we really want to do our best to get you connected and move you forward. Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we get into the word. First of all, in regards to At The Movies, uh, as Brian mentioned, this is a 100% outreach Series. We, the whole idea is to get people inside the church who might not normally come to church. With that being said, we want to be able to get their information in an accurate way so that we can follow up with them about future events. And so when you arrive every Sunday of that series for four Sundays, we're going to put you through a process where we get you to fill out some information, and I'm going to need you to do it. I understand that we already have your information. It, it will be going into a giveaway that you guys get to participate in every week and then a big giveaway at the end. But I need you to do it because the people that you're inviting— and the people who are visiting for the first time will do it if everybody's doing it. But if you're over there going, I go to church here, I'm not going to fill that out, then they're not going to do it, right? And so I need you to be encouraged over the next, over those four weeks, October 8th through the end, to come ready for that, prepared for that, do that for us. Because again, our heart here is to be able to meet people where they're at, is to be able to move them in the connection and, and, and help them connect with Jesus. And the best way we can do that is if we have the opportunity to follow up with them, tell them about Trunk or Treat, tell them about our greet and tell them about certain things that are happening, baptism and so on. So I want to thank you in advance for helping us do that uh, in the month of October. Amen? Amen. Also, you'll see in front of you a QR code. That is at any point throughout the service if you choose to take another step uh, forward. So if you want to give your heart to Christ, if you'd like to get signed up for water baptism, if you'd like to join a dream team or a small group, at any point throughout the service, you can scan that QR code. It'll send you a form. You can fill that out. And then our team will reach out to you this week to kind of help follow up with that. Every Sunday, we're having people giving their heart to Jesus. And you can just scan that QR code and we'll be able to follow up with you and get you taking those next steps. Uh, last but not least, I always like to share something that we're doing in the community or happening through our finances. We have so many people who are faithfully giving every month to Victory Church. And on Friday Friday morning, Scout Witherington, Scout, you still in here? Put your hands up in the air. Let me see you. Yeah, every, Scout Witherington went into Rock Springs Middle School and he shared the gospel with the students in there. And then because of your faithfulness and finances, we were able to provide every kid with Chick-fil-A breakfast. Come on, put your hands together. And so we fed them both physically and spiritually. And so I just want to thank you. I just want you to know that your money's not only going to what God's doing right here on a Sunday morning, but there are kids getting the gospel on a Friday morning. While you were going to work, Scout was sharing the gospel, and they were eating Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits because of your faithfulness. And so I just want to say thank you. Uh, next Sunday, Scout is going to be bringing the word on this stage next Sunday. And so you want to be here. Uh, I, I didn't get to say this during the first service. I'm going to say it real quick. My wife and I celebrate 17 years of marriage yesterday. Come on. And so taking her away to celebrate uh, I mean, before we come back and get really crazy for at the movies. So thank you guys for that. You ready for the word? Yeah. Luke chapter five. Turn to Luke chapter five. It's where we were last week. We're going to finish there today. Uh, to give you, in case you weren't here last week, let me kind of tell you what, what happened. We, we read a story in Luke chapter 5 about a guy who was paralyzed. Four of his friends came and carried, they grabbed a different corner of this mat that he was laying on, and they carried him to Jesus. When they got to Jesus, the room was too full for them to get to Jesus, so they climbed on top of the roof, dug a hole in the roof, lowered the man down to Jesus. And once that happened, Jesus looked at his friends, and he looked at the man, and he said, because of their faith, your sins are forgiven. And so we talked a little bit last week about how you can be impactful in people's lives and how your faith and your desire to share the gospel could actually lead to somebody meeting and experiencing Jesus. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, right now. So Luke chapter 5, verse 20. <clears throat> 
Verse 20 is our final verse from last week that says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. This is where we pick up. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to think to themselves. So they're having this inner dialect. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who is this guy who's saying he can heal, heal, uh, forgive people of their sins? And it says, who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're saying, this is blasphemy because only God can do this. Who is this man that's saying it? Bible says that Jesus knew what they were thinking and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Watch this. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I can say your sins are forgiven and there's no real evidence on whether or not that's happening because you can't see inside. You can't see eternity. But if I say, get up and walk, then if he doesn't get up and walk, you can tell right off the bat that I'm lying. So he's saying, which one's easier? Is it easier for me to say his sins are forgiven, which none of you will know if that's true or not? Or is it easier for me to say, uh, get up and walk, which all of you will know if I'm telling the truth. So in other words, it's actually harder for me to say, get up and walk, than it is for me to say his sins are forgiven. You're following? All right, then he goes on to say, um, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I, I want you to know both. So as a result of that, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat. Everybody say mat. mat. Take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, which was his mat, and he went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. I want to talk to you this morning real briefly from the idea, my mat is my message. Last Sunday evening, I was headed back from a board meeting and I called my dad to just check in and we started talking about the message from that morning. He had listened to it and just doing back and forth conversation. He says, uh, he says, there's two, there's still two things I'm working on as a Christian. I'm trying to get better at. And I'm like, what are they? He said, well, number one is tithing. And we talked through that and just the idea that, that finances, it's a real faith. Tithing is a real faith concept for, for anybody. And sometimes you'll find out a lot of Christians, that'll be the last faith step they take because it's such a big deal. This is why every November I preach on it for about three weeks and I'll walk us through what scripture talks about in regards to our finances and how tithing is really a faith issue. And the more that we, we follow that principle of tithing, the more our faith will grow. And so it's a real deep process. It's not just as simple as sometimes we make it. And so me and him are talking through that a little bit. And then he said, and the second thing is sharing my faith. And he said, I, I said, I don't have a problem sharing my faith as regards to the fact that, you know, I love Jesus and I'm excited about what God's doing in my life. He said, but I, I don't ever want to come off like I'm better than somebody, you know? I don't ever want to treat it like, hey, I've got it all figured out and you just need to be like me. Like that's not never our goal. And, and then he went on to say, he said, I also am not sure how I'll act if the person I'm telling about Jesus is mean to me and tells me they don't care what I have to say. You know, he's like, I don't know. I don't want to respond. He's like, I can't be telling somebody about Jesus. And when they say, I don't want to hear about it, I go, well, forget you then. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't quite express the gospel very well. Um, so, and he was right. But the truth is this. Sometimes we struggle being used by God because of our past. And sometimes we struggle being used by God because of our present. Right? Sometimes it's hard to imagine that God could do anything through us, that God could communicate any kind of hope to somebody or help a life be changed because we know what we did in the past. And watch this. Some of us, we're still struggling with what we're doing in the present. So it's hard to understand that God 
could use us. And God fills us up with his grace, but somehow we find ourselves at this place where we think it's just not enough. We have to understand that God doesn't just forgive us, but God takes what the enemy meant for bad and he turns it to good. So when God forgave you of your past, when God forgives you of your present, God doesn't just forgive you so that you can move on and kind of be like, well, I'm just a failure person. God takes whatever that past is. He takes whatever that failure is that the enemy meant for bad, that the enemy meant for shame and condemnation, and he turns it for good so that somebody else might come to know the Jesus that you know. When I read Luke chapter 5, it's interesting to me that the gentleman on the mat does not jump up, begin to praise God, and then have this inter, you know, inner dialect about whether or not he's worthy to praise God, or what are people going to think if I praise God, or, you know, I, I'm a sinner. Because remember, we talked about this last week, his paralysis, and at least according to his culture, was a result of his sin. And so this idea that he's healed from it, but now, you know, what am I going to do? Like, I'm still a sinner. But you don't see that. What happens is he gets healed, and the Bible says he goes away praising God. He doesn't even have time to think about it. He's not concerned about what he did or, or what he was a part of. All he's concerned about is he has been healed by God. We would be surprised, watch this, how many people can relate more to our weakness than our strengths. The average person that you come across, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, they can relate way more to your weaknesses than they can your strengths. They are, watch this, more impacted by God's grace that is showcased in your failure than they are impressed by your holiness. I gotta say it again, that they are far less impressed by your holiness. They are way more impressed by God's grace in your weakness. They're more impressed by seeing somebody who they know has a weakness, somebody they can relate to, being used by God in a great way. They are not impressed with our holiness. The Bible says that every good deed I do is like filthy rags compared to Jesus. There's nobody that's going to be impressed by our holiness, but they will be moved and impacted and empowered by seeing a sinner saved by grace being used by God. Amen? Amen. In fact, our, our weakness plus God's grace, I believe, is the perfect platform to show that God can do something through them and what God can do in their lives. Our weaknesses mixed with God's grace becomes this perfect platform for people who are feeling like they're hopeless, people who are feeling like they've done too much, that they've made too many mistakes. They get to see God's grace combined with our weakness being used to do great things, and it becomes a platform for them. So last week we talked about four things. Well, we talked about two. We'll, we'll finish two today that you and I see in Luke chapter 5 where it comes that you and I can help people. Number one we talked about last week was we could help people know God. We talked about how it's our job to help people get the right perspective of God and understand that he loves them and his mercy and grace. Then we talked about helping people find freedom and how you and I can grab a corner of the mat and somebody in our lives and we can do all that we can to get them to Jesus because we know if God changed our life, they'll change their lives. Number three and four today, number three is this, we can help people find purpose. Let's go back to Luke chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. Watch this, it says, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your what? Mat. Mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, he took what he had been lying on, which was his mat, and he went home praising God. 
When I read this story, this, this thought jumped out to me. Why take his mat? Why is it necessary? Why would Jesus go out of his way? Jesus could have just said, get up and leave, but Jesus goes out of his way to make sure he says, take your mat with you. Like, like in my mind, if I'm this guy and this, this mat has always been a symbolization of my paralysis, it's always been a symbolization of my sin, of my past, of my mistakes, of my failure, then when God heals me, the first thing I want to do is roll that mat up and throw it in the trash can, right? I, I want to forget about it. So it was interesting to me that not only did Jesus heal him, but Jesus makes it a point. And then scripture makes it a point to repeat the fact that not only did he leave, but he left carrying his mat. He left carrying his past. He left carrying his mistakes. He left carrying the symbolization of his failure. He left carrying those things. But why? When we look at the Bible, we see story after story of people who are complete hot messes. If you think there's something wrong with you, there is some crazy people in the Bible, all right? These are people that all have a past. They have a, a, they're broken people with a past of all kinds of different things. And yet, not only does God forgive them, but God turns around and uses their past and uses their mistakes for an amazing purpose. When you read the Bible, you'll read about adulterers, You'll read about murderers, you'll read about liars, you'll read about thieves, you'll read about all kinds of crazy people who were doing crazy things and had failures and mistakes, but God redeemed them, saved them, forgave them, and then turned around and used them to do something great that we read about in the scriptures today. And, and you know, there had to be a moment where some of these men or women were like, do we really need to put that in the Bible? Like, can we just forget that happened? You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if Moses is like, do we really need to talk about the fact that I killed an Egyptian? Like, can we just keep that to ourselves? Or, or David, who's like, do, can we just skip the whole Bathsheba chapter? You know what I mean? Like, let's just go back to that whole man after God's own heart thing. You know what I mean? Like, let's forget the whole woman on the roof bathing. Like, let's just forget about that. And it's similar to us. Like, like if we had our way, we would really just kind of want to, can we just forget about that, God? Like, I know I was involved in that. I know that was an addiction. I know that was a bad mistake. I know that was a bad decision. I know it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I know that was my past. So could we honestly just throw it away? Do, do we ever really need to bring it up to begin with? Because here's the truth. Watch this. If we don't bring it up, if we can just throw it away, then I won't have to deal with the self-condemnation that I bring on myself because of it. It's not that we still want to carry it. It's just that we know that if we see it, we're going to occasionally remember it, and we're going to question, could God really use us? So, so can we just get rid of it? Can we, just, can we let nobody see it? You may have already decided that your situation is not redeemable, but I came to tell you something. God is not done writing your story. It is still, it'll be written to the day you die. Every mistake, every freckle, every bad decision, every great decision, it'll all be in a story that will be done and, and put a bow around it of impactful life that glorifies God. So we can't hide it. Listen, the worst thing we can do is let the enemy take our story and give us shame. This is his goal. 
His goal is he doesn't really care if you remember it or not, but he wants to move you into a place where you feel shame over it. Because if the enemy can make you feel shame over your past, you will start to deem yourself uh, unreliable and, and, and unable to be used by God. And instead of allowing God to work through you, you'll just find yourself frozen. You'll just maintain in the status quo. You'll stop kind of reaching out and putting yourself out there and making yourself vulnerable because in the back of your mind, you'll think, because of my past, God can't use me for the future. So let's just pretend it didn't happen. Let's just hide it. The enemy wants you to get to a point that whatever happens in your story is shame-filled so that you won't allow God to redeem it and allow God to use you to change people's lives. Both of my kids are currently playing sports. Uh, you've heard me mention before that Casey Ray plays flag football. She's still a beast, all right? Um, this past Saturday, she was at the one-yard line, which means they had the entire football field to go. First play, quarterback handed off the ball. Ah, full touchdown all the way field. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, going to be rich soon. We're going to buy this building off of her contract. All right, can we get an amen? Um, we got 30 years to her contract, so we need y'all's money. Just kidding. Uh, but Veda, my oldest, she took up softball, and she's never played softball before, never. Uh, but, but, you know, Darla's a natural athlete. I'm a professional pickleball player. So, you know, this kind of runs in the blood of the family, me and all the other 80-year-olds. And so, um, you know, she's just a natural athlete. And so she gets out and starts playing softball, and she's good at it, but she's still learning the game. She doesn't know a lot of the rules. She's kind of learning them as it goes. And so the second game she has, she steps up, bases are loaded, all right? One person on every base, that's what that means in case I was corrected after first service that they're runs, not points. So I want to make sure I'm right about baseball here. Um, okay. And so, so she's on you know, home plate, and they pitch her the ball, and boom, she hits it to the outfield, right? And all these kids, some of them are brand new. They never played before, so they're throwing it to all the wrong places and missing it. It becomes an in-park home run. I'm talking third base in, second base in, first base in. She comes running... And the way I'm standing, I can see her from third base to home plate. And she's running as she goes over it. I notice she doesn't touch home plate. And so I'm like, uh-oh. But maybe they won't notice, right? So I see her, and she's going over to the dugout, and she's cheering, and she's excited. And the catcher runs up and tags her. And the ump's like, out of there! And immediately you see Veda's like, what? What happened? And they tell her, and she goes from this crazy excitement to just this shameful defeat. Now, luckily, it wasn't, it didn't lose us the game. You know, she technically won the game for us because she's the one that brought in all the runners. So, so luckily, that was okay that, that that run didn't cost us the game. But I was trying to figure out how to coach her through this, you know. And so when the game's over, we're walking, and I said, hey, here's the good news. I said, yes, you know, stink. She didn't touch home plate. I said, but number one, good news is it didn't cost us the game. So that's okay. We still won the game. I said, but even better news is I bet you will never forget to touch home plate again, right? And she's like, oh, you bet. You bet I won't. Because it was a past mistake, right? It was a failure. And so now she's learned from that failure. So a couple, you know, the next week later, the next ball game, uh, she's on base and the, the girl hits her in. And I'm standing kind of right again behind home plate out in the, in the area where the parents are. And here she comes running from third base to home again. And this time, y'all, she, I never seen somebody stomp home plate so hard. She was like, ah, you know what I mean? Like finish him. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Probably wasn't, it probably wasn't that extreme, but, but it was pretty extreme. And so we were laughing about it because it was like, yeah, now that you've made that mistake, you'll never forget it again. And here's what the enemy would rather you do. The enemy would rather you become so shame-filled about a past mistake that you won't even play softball to begin with. But instead of stopping playing softball, she 
still coming home, but she's making sure that she steps on the plate. When we allow God to have our past, when we allow God to have our mistakes, it's not shame-filled. It's empowered. It's saved. It's redeemed. It's forgiven. And we give it to God. And watch this. We learn to be better next time. But we don't allow it to cause us shame. It doesn't allow us to stop us from playing the game. We just learn how to play the game better. The enemy would love for you to take off your jersey and stop the game altogether. He would love it because if you stop, people stop getting saved. But instead of being filled with shame, he would much rather you learn from those mistakes, give him those mistakes, And the next time you get the opportunity, you are stomping on home plate. Satan cannot torment me. He cannot torment my failures when I use them as a testimony to glorify God. He cannot continue to condemn you. He cannot continue to torment you with your mistakes and with your failures if you will package those things up and you glorify God with them. You can either hide your mess, hide your failures, hide your mat, or you can allow the power of God and the Spirit of God to use that mess, use that that mat, use that mistake, use that failure for a message and a ministry. I think one of the things that hurts my heart the most, and I'm going to preach on this during at the movies because I know we'll have visitors in the room, is people that feel like they've done too much. You know, like at some point, the enemy has done a good job of telling us that while other people are forgiven, ours was too much. And so God could use that person, but God can't use me. He somehow gets us to a point and convinces us that the best thing you can do about this is just pack it away and hide it. Just ignore it. The enemy would try to shame you with whatever your mat is. So what's your mat? Maybe your mat is a past addiction. Maybe your mat is a divorce. Maybe your mat is a decision. Maybe your mat is a failure. Whatever your mat is that you are so hesitant to carry and so quick to hide. Because you feel like that as long as the mat is available for people to know about, God will never be able to use you to do ministry. Not realizing that it's exactly the mat that God wants. Why would Jesus say, get up, but take your mat? Take your mat. Why? Because then when you're walking through town and somebody sees you carrying your mat, and they might say, hey, what's up with that? Now it's an open door to tell your testimony. Now the individual that was suffering with that same addiction finds hope in the Jesus that you found hope in. Now the same person who was processing a divorce or processing a past decision or whatever, they find the same hope in the Jesus you found the hope in. And when we overcome that, we quit quit trying to find ways to hide the mat and just offer it up to God so that he can use it. Make my mat my message. Make my mat my ministry. See, the coolest part about my ugly mess, the coolest part about your ugly mess is now it offers a beginning to your amazing transformation. Ugly mess is the springboard to God's ability to transform 
your life. And you become a walking testimony of God's love, mercy, and grace. So not only do you have a purpose, but you get to help people find theirs. That's awesome. Well, I can't have a purpose if I have a past. God will form your purpose from your past. But you got to be able to give it to God, right? So we can help people know God. We can help people find freedom. We can help people find purpose. And then lastly is this. We help people make a difference. Let's go back to Luke chapter 5. It's the last verse in the story that we're reading. It says, everyone was amazed and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Whenever I'm reading the Bible, I try my best to read it out of the context in which I'm in, right? I try not to be Troy at my house reading the Bible. I try to, you know, somewhat kind of put myself in that moment. And a lot of times because of that, we read words and we over, we just kind of read right over them and we miss the power of them. For them to step back and somebody to record the statement, we have seen remarkable things today. And it made me think this, how cool would it have been to be with Jesus in those days? You know what I mean? Like, like Jesus is walking around doing all these crazy miracles. He's, he's giving blind people the ability to see. He's helping paralyzed people walk. He's raising dead people from the grave. Like that would have been awesome. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just cool. You know, like I just, I'd love to be a part of that. What's that like to know that like at least for those three and a half years, every day is going to be an adventure. It made me think like there's probably some days where they didn't do any healing and Jesus just chilled. You know what I mean? He's like, today's our Sabbath. We're just going to rest. And the disciples are like, no, let's do something cool. Let's do something crazy. You know what I mean? Let's get wild. Like, it was just this, it was this unremarkable situation. Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, the, the roof starts getting pulled apart. If, if all of a sudden, while I was preaching, I thought about doing this as an illustration, but I couldn't afford to tear the roof apart. And so... <laughs> And all of a sudden, you know, the roof starts coming apart and they start lowering somebody. Guess what y'all are doing? Running. Y'all are all out of here. Like something's wrong with this place. And then later you'd be like, oh, I was there. It was cool. It was cool. I was there. <laughs> but like it was just an unremarkable situation. These guys are like, this is, this is wild. This is crazy. And then watch this. Then I'm, I'm, I'm also currently in a culture that communicates that being a Christ follower is boring. So I'm reading people who are going, man, I was with Jesus today, and it, was, and it was remarkable. And then I'm being told by being a Christ follower, it's this lame, boring life. And, and we're just, we're missing out on something, y'all. We're missing out that every day there's an opportunity for us to be a part of something remarkable. Every day is an opportunity for God to use you. Your story, your mat, your testimony. He can do it at school. He can do it at work. He can do it at home. He can do it with your family. He can do it with your friends. There's always an opportunity if you'll just look for it. If you walk around excited about it, if you're ready to share your mat. If we're shamed by it, then we walk around hoping somebody doesn't ask us. But if we're excited about it, we're looking for opportunities to tell people, let me tell you what God did for me. Yeah. God changed my life, and I want you to know about it, because if you truly know about it, your life will be changed. And then watch this. I can go home at night and go, today was remarkable. It was remarkable. I think one of the things that draws us to God 
is this desire inside of us for something more. We want to be a part of something greater than a nine-to-five job. We want to be a part of something remarkable. We don't want to just wake up, go to work, pay the bills, go to sleep, watch Netflix for 30 minutes, eat a cheeseburger. And that's the day? When I was talking to my dad, he was like, I wonder if God's ever looking down on us. And he's like, you know, shaking his head because we've now adapted to where that's our life. Just wake up and pay the bills and have some food and, you know, watch season one or whatever it might be and go to bed and do it all over again. And, and, and please hear me. I'm not, I'm not coming in a, in a judgmental way on that because a lot of that's just life, right? We got to pay the bills or we're going to all be sleeping here, you know? <laughs> um, but, but there's also an understanding of going, but, but what if this isn't the overall purpose? What if I can do these things but look for opportunities for God to use my mat in this moment? What if I can go to work nine to five, but what if there's a coworker that I talk to every day, and what if that's the reason, right? Well, maybe I can go to that place and get a cheeseburger every Tuesday, but who's the waiter that's giving me the cheeseburger every day? You know what I mean? Like, is there a way for me to do something remarkable in the life I'm in? Because that's the calling God has on my life, and it all starts, watch this, not with theology, because that's what the enemy would tell you. Well, I don't know anything about the Bible. Well, I tell you this, like, we're never going to arrive at a place where we know everything about the Bible. But one of the ways for us to know more about the Bible is to live the Bible. So, so quit yelling the enemy to shame you with excuses and walk out with your mat proudly and say, all right, God, use me today. Use me today. See, I think we all want our lives to matter. I don't think there's a single person in here who's like, ah, I don't really care. Like, y'all, you could say it as a defense mechanism, but I think everybody in here wants your life to matter. By the time you pass away, you want somebody to be able to say that there was an impact you had on their life. I think we desire greatness. Watch this. You ready? Because we were created for greatness. I think when God wired us, he didn't wire us to be mediocre. I think when God wired us, it was wired for greatness. You know why? Because we were, the made in, we were made in the image of a God who is great. So if I was made in the image of a great God, how could I be wired for anything but greatness? Matter of fact, there's this, there's this moment, it's in Luke actually, uh, where the disciples, they, they've been with Jesus and Jesus is doing all these miracles and really cool things, and they get in an argument about who's the greatest amongst them. Isn't that like the most human thing you've ever seen? They're with Jesus. That'd be like if all of a sudden I went out to the football field with like Tom Brady, you know, and me and Jonathan are like, well, I wonder which one's the greatest quarterback between us, though. You know what I mean? Like, mm, which one, Jesus? They're having this argument because there's something in us, there's something in our nature that wants to be great. So they're having this argument as who's the greatest between us? But here's my favorite part. Jesus doesn't criticize them for having a desire of greatness, nor does Jesus rebuke them for wanting to be great. Now, that's important for you to see. Now, there's a difference. I'm not talking about pride and these kinds of things, but listen to me. Jesus does not rebuke them for wanting to be great because Jesus knows he, des he designed them to want to be great. So why would he rebuke you for a way he's designed you? So instead of rebuking them for wanting to be great, watch this. He just redefines the pathway to greatness. He says, I understand you want to be great and you want to be great because I put that inside of you. 
you just have the wrong understanding of what great is. And so if I can give you the right mindset of what great is, it's okay for you desire to be great. So here's what Jesus says. He goes on to start talking about how greatness is when we serve other people. And he gives this illustration that I, I guess I've read over before and it, and it never really, but I was trying to express this in first service. Like this was so deep to me and it was so profound to me. And he says this, he says, greatness is not having a seat at the table because that's what we've been taught. That as long as we are invited to the table, then there must be greatness inside of us. So much that we've actually pushed ourselves up to tables that we weren't invited to. And Jesus says this. He says, being invited and sitting at the table is not greatness. Greatness is being the one who's serving those who are at the table. It's so powerful, right? It's so good. Now, 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 look. If I say this to you, you're like, ah, whatever. You're just trying to get us to get on a dream team. Like, I don't, you know. This is Jesus Christ. This is the Lord of all. The Son of God. He's got plenty of clout. (laughs) But I'm saying, he he doesn't need, for for him to say this, it's so deep, and it's so rich, and it's so perspective shifting and mind-boggling that he would say, listen, 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 I'm Jesus, the Son of God, and you think greatness is to get at the table. I'm telling you, that's not greatness. It's not greatness. Matter of fact, there's a whole other couple of scriptures about that that says when you walk into a room, put yourself in the lowest position so that if it's the Lord's will, you would be invited to the higher. He says, but if you walk into the room and you put yourself in a higher position, then there's a chance that someone might come and have to remove you. Here's what I read. If I walk into a room and I'm the focus, other people aren't going to be ministered to. But if I walk into the room and they're the focus, then God gets the glory. So for us, greatness is not getting to the table. It's not having a title. The pathway to greatness, watch this, is service. This is what Jesus was teaching them. Jesus wasn't saying stop wanting to be great. He didn't say that. Jesus wasn't saying, you sinners, you're going to hell for wanting to be great. He didn't say that. He said, look, you want to be great because I designed you to be great, and you should want to be great, but I need to help define for you what great is. Because great is not how many people know your name. Great is not measured by who you are further ahead than. Greatness is not this comparison aspect where you look at people around you and go, they're further or they're less than. Greatness is not about you having, you know, a title or a label. It's not about you having more money. It's not about you having more stuff. Jesus Christ said, that's not greatness. He said, greatness is measured by the impact, please catch this, that you have on other people. Greatness is measured by how many people you serve. How many people you add value to? So last Sunday, we were getting ready for first service. Uh, well, oh, oh, I had arrived here early. A lot of the team gets here early to get ready. And when Darla and I pulled up, there was, a, there was this RV in the parking lot. 
and it had all this spray paint stuff. We're broke. We need money for gas, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we put the car, I dropped Darla off at the door. I go park and I get out the car and I'm like, oh boy. And part of this you're just dealing with because you're in a shopping center, right? It's just when you share parking lot with businesses and so on. And, but it's also my responsibility to create the most, the, the safest place for you and your family to worship. And so I get in, I meet with our team, and we talk through. They weren't doing anything. Nothing was happening. They were, they were far enough away that it wasn't going to be a bother. But I just wanted to put everybody on alert. Like, hey, our responsibility are the people that come to church here. Let's keep them safe. You know, just y'all keep an eye on that. And then I went to go get ready for the morning. And, uh, you know, news ends up getting back to me like, yeah, now another guy's come out there. And one guy's got his shirt off, and they're smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, oh, man, not really the view you want as people pull up to church. You know what I mean? Let's go worship, little Tommy. Oh, you know, it is what it is. And uh, so I'm like, okay, all right, you know, what are we doing about it? Let the team handle it. Our team is phenomenal. Somebody comes back to me a little bit later and they say, hey, just want to let you know, Kyle's going out to talk to him. Now, if you've been to church here for any amount of time, you've met Kyle, okay? Kyle's never met a stranger in his entire life. Kyle will get into your conversation and, and make you feel awkward. That's, he's just like, what you talking about? You know, it's just, it's great. I love it. He's, he's, I love him to death. Him and Zenobia, they're on, they're on vacation before they have their baby and, and spending some time together. But, but the message gets back to me that Kyle's going to go talk to them. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So Kyle goes out and talks to them and kind of, you know, assesses the situation, makes sure that they're not going to be dangerous or anything like that. And so time goes by and then they come back and give me another message. They say, oh, Kyle's invited him to church. It's like, of course he did. You know what I mean? Like, because he's a Christian and I'm a sinner. Like, I get it. And so I'm like, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. They said, don't worry, Kyle said he's going he's gonna to stick with them, sit by them, watch them, just to make sure that they don't cause any problems. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm cool with that. So because of being able to know that, I just, I just go back into mode of getting ready for church and preach and service is over. And somebody comes and gets me in the lobby and they said, hey, there two guys walked in. One guy's name was Andre and one guy's name was Denver. And they came up to me and said, just want to let you know, Andre gave his heart to Jesus today. It's incredible. And part of me wanted to shout. The other part of me wanted to get on my knees and go, God, I'm so sorry. service is over and I'm in the lobby and I hear, you know, Pastor, can I talk to you? I turn around and, and Denver's standing there. I got a Tupac shirt on, tattoos. I'm like, look, we're twins. Like, it's interesting. And we start talking. He's got tears in his eyes. And he says, I've tried to go to church before. He said, but when I walked in, they met me at the door and said, we don't have anything for you. And he started talking about just the people who met him at the door and the coffee and this worship and the service and Jesus. And he says, he goes, he goes, I, he said, he never asked me for money, nothing. He said, I don't know. He said, I need so-and-so much money to get here to go there. He said, I don't know. He said, God's got it. Hung out, talked to people, had a good time, got in his RV, left. Now, here's the funny thing about that. Kyle's not even here today. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to tell a story because I don't want his head to get too big. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's impossible. But, uh, you wouldn't even have known that happened. We're not bringing Kyle up next Sunday and giving him the Dream Team of the Year award, you know. You'd never know. But Kyle has never forgot his mat. And when you keep your focus on how God changed your life, then every person you see, you assume God can change theirs. 
And so because he went out there, because his greatness was serving other people, he walks out and he invites them. And Andre gives his heart to Jesus and Denver's encouraged. And that, my friends, is greatness. I'm almost convinced I'm going to mow cow's grass in heaven. I'm pretty convinced of it. <laughs> but that's great. You know, that's greatness. I don't need a title. You know what I mean? Like, that's great. I don't need people to know me. I don't need to feel like I'm above somebody or be ahead of somebody. That's greatness is serving other people. Realizing that God has changed my life. And so God can change theirs. Listen to this. You ready? As we serve them. Jesus will save them. As we love them, Jesus will heal them. As we bless them, Jesus will build them. You and I will never in our life be able to save anyone, but we can serve everyone. Jimmy, a favor, would you stand with me this morning? My, my, my cry for you. Hey, if you're in here and your life has been changed by Jesus, would you raise your hand real quick? Let me just see your hand. Hold those hands up just for one second. If your hand's not up, do me a favor. Give your heart to Jesus today. He'll change your life right now. You won't even be able to get to the parking lot before he changes your life. Amen. Am I right, church? He's life changing. Put your hands down. Thank you. If you're not saved, give your heart to Jesus. The Bible says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. You can say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe you died on the cross for me. You can scan that QR code. We'll walk with you through it. But if you raised your hand and God has changed your life, then what else is there better to give our lives to? Right? Like, like come on, just give our life. Jesus, you can have my life. And that looks so many ways. Look, you can get to do it right here in Victory. Every Sunday we get to do it. We talked last week about, you know, whether we're going to be able to get this building next door. We need more people serving and more people giving. You can do it right here in Victory. And you can do it every day. Do it at your work. Do it at your school. Do it at your home. Let, just, just make that your cry. God, I give you my life. Amen. I'll give you one quick thought and we'll close. I brought this mat up because when I was praying this morning, I kept getting a picture. I knew Darla had this in the car, and so I kept getting a picture of me with this. And I thought it was for this, the first point to kind of walk through this idea of me carrying my mat and wanting to hide it and being able to get to a place where God's confidence is in me, and I'm holding it, and it's just striking up a testimony and a talk. And then I felt the Spirit of the Lord tell me something, that if I'm carrying my mat, right, I'm carrying my mat to work, carrying my mat out every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, carrying my mat. Then when God opens up the door, an opportunity where I run into somebody and I find out that Jeff needs Jesus the way I needed Jesus, right? When I find out that because of what I've been through, Jeff relates to me and I can tell him about Jesus. But watch this, but he doesn't have a mat. He doesn't know how to get to Jesus. But as long as I'm carrying what God did in my life, I can just be like, here we go. Lay down. Let's go, baby. Get on the mat. I'll grab a corner. You grab a corner. Let's get him to Jesus. Amen.
Let's get him to Jesus. Do me a favor. Close your eyes right now. Father, I pray in this room. If there's somebody in here that doesn't know you, I pray you would move on their heart like only you can do right now, that they would give their life to you, that they would recognize that they're sinners saved by you. They would walk this out. And for every person in this room who knows you, who's been changed by you, I pray right now that you'd put a calling on their spirit, that God, you didn't just save them to get to heaven, you saved them so they could be a testimony of the goodness of God that you would charge them and challenge them to give their life back to you so that other people might know changed lives, changing lives. Would you make that your prayer right now? Come on. If you've never been saved, your prayer is, God, save me. I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize you died for me on the cross, and I receive your salvation. If you're saved, here's your prayer right now. God created me, stirring me a hunger to serve you, stirring me a hunger to tell people about Jesus, hunger, stirring me a hunger to carry my mat and preach my message. Come on, ask him right now. Father, come on, ask him. Father, we, want, we ask, we pray, and we seek. Seek for a hunger for the lost, for people that don't know you, Jesus. Father, we'll build our life on you. We'll build our life on you, Jesus. Hallelujah.